Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It's in uh, page 74 in your uh, pew Bible. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant or maiden servant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Thank you, J.D. Well, happy, uh, happy Labor Day weekend. I hope you are all enjoying uh, the extra break that we get. Uh, My family, we had a a block party. I think it's the first annual New Street block party uh, just just yesterday, and it was really exciting. Pretty much all of the homes from the church down the road uh, for for quite a while now all came out for this block party and and got to know each other. It was amazing. There were some neighbors (laughs) that that had, had lived in the same area for like 20 years, and this was the first time they'd had a real conversation. Uh, so that was really exciting. Actually, I would encourage all of you to think about trying to do something like that in your own neighborhood. It's a great way to get to know people. Uh, and, and we live in this, in this age in which we're so secluded. We live right next to people, uh, but we have, we, have, well, we have these things called walls and garage doors. And, and sometimes you, you never see people because you're in your house, then you're in your garage, then you're in your car, then you're in your parking garage, then you're in your office, and... and uh, you, know, you wonder how you even get oxygen for many of us. But we just encourage you to do that. So anyway, so hope you're having a, a great Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend is, I think it's a, a weekend that marks a change of season uh, for many of us. I think my understanding is that fall doesn't officially start for another couple of weeks. But nonetheless, this is still sort of a, a change of season. You start, you close up your pool last weekend to use the pool, uh, all, all of that sort of thing. It's a change of season. Um, but, but Labor Day, what, what is it really about? Well, it's, it's actually a day of rest. It's actually a day of rest. And it's sort of ironic that it's called Labor Day. It's called Work Day. It's the, one of the few days, weekdays of the year when we're, we actually don't work, but it's called Labor Day. And, of course, why is that? Well, it's because it's a celebration of work. It's intended to be a celebration of work, that you celebrate working hard and and, of course, you were rewarded with that from rest. And I think we see even in Labor Day this sort of connection between rest and work. Rest and work. And a big part of that is that rest is required for you to do your work well. This is something that I learned many years ago, especially when I was in college. Finals week comes along, and it's 1.30 in the morning, and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over these notes for this test one more time. And then it occurs to you, you know, I think I would probably be better off if I just went to sleep. You come to this realization that actually sometimes rest, getting rest, taking a step back from work, will actually make you more effective in your work. And a a number of studies show this to be the case. I I saw one study that said that something like 82% of small business owners, that when they come back from vacation, are significantly more productive uh, than they were beforehand. And and companies that recognize this, recognize the importance of vacation, uh, actually get more productivity out of their workers. They find that by giving them vacation, they actually get more done when they're, when they're actually working. There's also 
less of a turnover rate because uh, uh, employees are happier. And so rest really helps us to work. And, and I'm not going to go into this today. I'm actually going to talk about this more next week. But actually, rest helps us to work because God did create us to work. This is important. God did create us to work. Uh, that, that I think that sometimes we think of eternal life as, well, I'm going to work hard and then I just get to rest. But, but actually, we'll, we'll talk about this more next week. There's actually a picture. God created us to work. He actually created us to really enjoy working. Uh, and so we have some problems with that in our, in our day and age and, and in this age. But he created us to work. And so, so we rest in order to work and in order to do what we do uh, better. And so we, we, see, we see this principle of rest and work uh, throughout the Bible. But in our passage just here today, we see that rest is actually something that is commanded of us. And let me just... Uh, let me just read it again and just kind of walk through it a little bit here. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your manservant or maidservant, nor animals nor the alien within your gates. I mean, I love this. Your animals aren't, aren't even supposed to work. This is trying to make it very clear that this is to be a day of rest. And I think that one of the things that this points to is that rest, we have to be intentional about building rest into our schedules. And I've talked about this before. Rest is something that, well, if you accidentally rest, that's probably laziness. And we'll talk about that next week. We're going to jump back into our series next week on the, on the seven deadly sins. Uh, and we're going to talk about sloth. So there's a, a relationship here, right? Uh, accidental rest is probably laziness. But intentional rest can actually be a, an important spiritual discipline and obedience to God's command. But we've got to be intentional about it, right? So I've said this before. You, I want to encourage you to get out your schedules and schedule nothing into your schedule. Right? Schedule nothing. And then when somebody comes along and says, are you busy tomorrow? You can look at it and say, oh, yes, I am. I'm, I'm busy. I'm doing nothing. And they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know you were doing nothing. Let me know when you have some free time. That nothing is something that you should schedule into your, into your life. We need to be intentional about this, that if we don't do this, it's way too easy for rest to just kind of, just kind of disappear. So I want to talk today about three kinds of rest. Three kinds of rest. And I want to encourage you, Labor Day is tomorrow. I probably should have preached this sermon several weeks ago so you'd have time to, to think about this and apply it. But I would encourage you to see if you can even incorporate some of these principles of rest into your day tomorrow. If you can't, then look to do this down the road. But we're going to look at three ways in which we are to rest. Rest from activity, rest from people, and rest from things. Rest from activity, Rest from people and rest from things. First of all, rest from activity. And, and this is just, you just need to rest. You need to rest your body. And, and to see that physical rest is actually a spiritual discipline. Physical rest is a spiritual discipline. Think about that for a minute. I think sometimes, and not to get overly deep here for a minute, but uh, but, but our understanding, I think, in, in Western culture, we, we draw this really stark line between sort of the physical person and the spiritual person. But biblically, that's really not how the Bible talks about it. We, we've been influenced more by Plato's understanding of the human person than we actually have by the Bible. That when the Bible talks, for example, when the Bible talks about the soul, 
generally speaking, the Greek and Hebrew words that refer to the soul don't really talk about something completely distinct from the body. That the, the Hebrew and Greek words really refer to the entire person, often from a spiritual perspective, but there are actually times when it'll use the word which we often translate as soul, uh, but it'll talk about us eating and drinking. Like, you need to eat and drink uh, for your soul. So, well, wait a minute, your soul doesn't eat or drink. Well, again, the, the, the Hebrew and, and Greek words don't, don't differentiate as much. They see a, that there is a unity and a continuity between the physical and the spiritual. Now, there's a lot that we could say about that, but for our purposes, what's important to recognize is that physical rest can be a spiritual discipline. I remember the first time I was awakened to this, I was reading a book by Dallas Willard, who's a big spiritual disciplines uh, guy, and, and he just talks about, you know, you should probably take a nap. You know, if you're, if you're looking to spend time with God, you should take a nap. I'm like, that's a, that's a great idea, that physical rest is, is a spiritual discipline. And I think, actually, if you think about this, we, we should realize that, that these two are connected, physical rest and spiritual fruit. Here's what I mean by this. Let's think about what the fruit of the Spirit is the life that God calls us to, the life that God wants us to have. We find this in Galatians. He talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I want you to think about those things, and I want you to think about if you have any of those when you're tired. Right? When you haven't slept for 24 hours, how joyful are you? How patient are you? How is your self-control when you haven't slept for a a long time? We we all know this, that there is this close connection. You know, you you think, oh my gosh, I'm struggling so much. I'm I'm bitter and I'm angry and what is going on with me? Well, you might just need to go to bed. It really might just be that simple. So physical rest can actually be a, a, a spiritual discipline. And actually, physical rest then actually can help us with our other spiritual disciplines. Again, a spiritual discipline being something that helps you to grow uh, in your relationship with God. And I, I think about this all the time. Studying scripture or praying, I, I think many of us will say to ourselves, we'll look at our lives and we'll say, boy, I don't pray enough or I don't read my Bible enough and I really need to get into the word because and, and, that's going to nourish me. And so then what do we say? We'll say, you know, I'm just going to get up an hour earlier. Now, you don't go to bed an hour earlier. You just get up an hour earlier, and then you wonder why it is that you're falling asleep over your Bible. And, and your, your Bible becomes a pillow instead of, instead of something that you, right? Because you're not getting enough rest. If you don't get enough rest, you're, have you ever, like, prayed and you, you, fall, you, know, you fall asleep? You pray, and you're like, oh, my gosh, the Lord gave me a vision. It's like, I don't think he gave you a vision. I think you just fell asleep and started dreaming. That we need to have physical rest in order to even engage in other, uh, other uh, spiritual disciplines. So the first thing that we need is, is physical rest. Physical rest, rest from activity. But rest from activity, I think, also includes rest from mental activity. This is just as important, rest from mental activity. There's, there's physical activity, but there's also mental activity that we need to be able to rest the kinds of uh, things that we find ourselves constantly thinking about or or, or worrying about, that oftentimes mental activity is as exhausting, if not more exhausting, than physical activity. I remember having a conversation with Steve Pikett, uh, who's our church chairman, and he owns a plumbing business. 
And he told me that oftentimes the, the stress of running the business, the mental exertion of running the business is actually more exhausting than the physical exertion of being a plumber. And being a plumber is not an easy job physically. He said oftentimes the, the mental stress is actually more exhausting. And so we have to recognize that rest isn't just a matter of physical rest, but mental rest as well, that you need to be able to disengage. My wife and I just, honestly, on, when we have our day off, we really just try to not talk about church at all. Just not talk about it, because the me- mental rest is just as important as, as physical rest. And I think when we talk about obeying the Sabbath, this is, this is again, one of, these, one of the areas where we have to see that the issue is much deeper than simple, simple rules. And this is kind of ties us into the series that we've been going through about what is the nature of sin. And the Sabbath is a perfect example of this because in, in Jesus' day, uh, the religious leaders had tried to get, come to grips with, well, what does it mean that we're not supposed to work? And, well, we shouldn't have exert physical activity. And say, well, how much activity can you do? Like, when are you, when are you no longer being obedient to God's command? How much work can you do? And they came up with uh, this, basically this rule. You could, you could go no more than three-quarters of a mile. That if you traveled more, if you walked more than three-quarters of a mile, well, then now you're, you've exerted yourself too much. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, is that really the way we should be approaching this whole issue of rest? What's interesting is then apparently they came up with a loophole, and they said that if you, if you uh, got out some food and ate for a little while, then that counted as a temporary residence. And so then you st- you're staying in a new place, and so then you could walk another three-quarters of a mile. And so this, is, this is, uh, gets at the heart of how do we even approach sin? Why do we come up with these strange rules of what you can and can't do when it's much deeper than that? And often misses the whole point. You could stay at home. You could do absolutely nothing. You could sit on your couch and not lift a finger. But if you think about work all day, you've probably broken that commandment. Rest from mental activity is just as important as rest from physical activity. So so first of all, uh, we need to rest from activity. Secondly, rest from people. Rest from people. Turn with me to Mark. Yeah, Mark. Mark chapter 1, and here we find Jesus in the midst of his ministry, the beginning of his ministry, and he's been working. He's been working hard. He's been helping people. Uh, He's been caring for people. This is is on page 991 of your pew Bibles, and he's been working. He's been healing people. They've been bringing people to, uh, to him. And, and then it says here in verse uh, 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I think if, if Jesus saw the importance of getting away and being alone, if he needed that, how much more do we need this? Now, I, this is something where the reality is in, in our culture, we're so individualistic that one of the things I'm constantly pushing is our need for community, (laughs) that we need to be with one another. And that's important, but we also need to see the importance of time alone. You need time alone, away from people, away from the noises of civilization. I think a big part of getting away from people is just getting away from the noises that that people and and, uh, civilization makes. Uh, I, I was reading somewhere that noise pollution is really only something that has 
uh, really existed or even been talked about in the last 50 years. We just live in a really noisy world. I don't know if you've thought about this, but my house is noisy. And I mean, I've got two kids, three and two, so they're noisy, of course. But, but there's always something beeping. I don't know if that's how it is in your house. There's always something beeping, whether it's a, an alarm on the oven or a cell phone going off or some... I don't think they make toys that don't make a noise. Have you noticed? Everything makes... Even books now. I thought, like, I thought the point of a book was to read it. Oh, no, it, they, they make noise, too. We had one of, one of our toys, the kids, it was a little train, and it got wet. They decided to give it a bath, which was not a good idea. And something got messed up with the circuitry, and I, you could not turn it off. It just... And then it would stop, and then you'd walk away and... Right? We live in a very, a very noisy world. And I, I want to read, read for you. This is, I've shared this before. This is uh, from the band Switchfoot. And I like this because there's a humility about this song. It says, what's it going to take to slow us down, to let the silence spin us around? What's it going to take to drop this town we've been spinning at the speed of sound? And the chorus says, if we're adding to the noise, turn off this song. If we're adding to the noise, turn off your stereo, radio, video. I like the humility of this band. You know, most artists think that anything that they have to sing, everybody should listen to it. They're actually acknowledging, you know, maybe you might want to turn us off. That maybe what you really need is just some, some quiet, some silence. That, that we need to have a break from the noises of this world to be able to hear God, to be able to hear from God. And I think an important principle that, that ties in with this, and I've shared this before as well, and that is simply this. That when God talks to us, he doesn't usually shout. When God talks to us, he doesn't usually shout. Now, of course, throughout the Bible, we find times where he does shout. Moses comes upon the burning bush, and there's God, and he comes in dramatic fashion, burning bush, you know, speaks to Moses. And then, then of course, on Mount Sinai, he comes and singes the top of the mountain, a big booming voice. And, and so certainly, God does come in dramatic fashion. We see that various times throughout the Bible. Um, but I think that for most of us, we don't experience God as Moses does. We experience God as Elijah does. Turn with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19 here. The prophet Elijah is running away from Jezebel, the not, not so very nice wife of King Ahab. And he's running away, and he runs to Mount Horeb. And most scholars agree that Mount Horeb is is actually Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses was. So here's Elijah in the same place where uh, Moses heard from God in a very dramatic, loud fashion. But we're going to see that Elijah hears from God in a very different way. This is 1 Kings chapter 19. It's on page 351 of your pew Bibles, beginning in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
How often do we, we want to hear from God and we're looking for the big sign. We're looking for the earthquake. We're, we're looking for the big noise. Uh, and maybe the reason we're looking for it is because everything's so loud around us that we wouldn't hear him if he whispered. And this is why it's important for us to, to get rest from people and from the noises that people make so that we can hear from God. So I would, I would encourage you, if you can, uh, even tomorrow, to take some time to just be alone and away from people, away from civilization. You get a chance, maybe go up to the mountains, maybe go just find a park. Uh, find somewhere where you can just go and you can be before God in a solitary, quiet place that you might be able to hear from him. Because we need, we need to rest from activity. We need to rest from people. And finally, we need to rest from things. Rest from things. And here we're talking about is just engaging in a life of simplicity. And that even, even you know, we think of Labor Day weekend as a, as a time to, you know, whatever, uh, live it up maybe. But, but maybe you should take some time and just be simple. And, and we see this in, you turn to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 18. This is on page 1039. And here we read the story of the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's talk about that just for a minute. What is he talking about when he talks about eternal life? Well, certainly he's thinking uh, primarily about, he wants to know, uh, how do I become a a part of the people of God in such a fashion that when you return and you renew and restore all things, that I will be a part of that kingdom. Okay, so there's there, he's thinking about the future. He's saying, how, how, how can I, what, what must I do to be a part of that? Uh, but, but Jesus actually realizes that there's more to it than that. that. That entering into the kingdom of God is not just a matter of the future, it's actually about now. We find this throughout his ministry, but he even points to it at the end. I'm going to jump to the end of this chapter of this passage, and then we'll go into the middle of it. Verse 29, he says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What he's saying here is that entering into the kingdom of God, entering into eternal life, is something that you enter into now. Now, I think that's quite interesting because it puts a different spin on what, what this might mean. Because, well, let's, let's see what happens here. Richard Ruler asked him, good, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commands, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now on one hand, we can read this as simply a way of Jesus saying, you need to be surrendered to me in everything. That's right. That's a good, good principle to emerge from this. But we can't, can't ignore the, the, the focus on material things, on wealth. He's saying, sell all your possessions and, and, and give, to the, give to the poor. 
what he's suggesting to this young man is that actually the way you're going to find life is not through more, it's through less. You see, and again, when we realize he's not simply talking about what must I do so that I can go somewhere, go to heaven when I die. He's he's talking in part about how you can begin to experience the kingdom of God now. Well, what we realize, this has nothing to do with like, oh, if I do this, then God's going to love me. Like, I need to sell all my possessions to earn God's favor. That's not what this is talking about at all. He's just simply saying, actually, if you want to enter, if you want to experience it, this is how you do it. You enter into a life of simplicity. It's saying that, that, that that's actually how you'll begin to experience life more. So I would encourage you to think about what it means to enter into a life of simplicity and to even maybe take steps towards that uh, tomorrow. To think, okay, well, what's something in my life, some possession or activity or something that I do uh, that I don't really, you know, I'll just give that up. And maybe there's just, you know, maybe there's some television show that you're really into and you're like, yeah, I'm just... I'm not going to watch that. I'm going I'm to pass that up. And, and what you might discover is that if you, if you do that for several weeks, what you actually might find is you really don't miss it at all. And what you might find is that you're actually a whole lot more joyful and peaceful actually having given it up. What Jesus is saying is that, that this simple life, it, it allows, it creates space for life to come through. It creates space for God to come through it. I've used this analogy before as well, that as a musician, one of the things that I have noticed is that musicians, especially when they're learning their craft, they get to this point where uh, the more that they can play, the more that they can do, uh, the different kinds of tricks that they can play and all this kind of stuff, they just play that all the time. And it's really busy, and they they play as many notes as they possibly can, uh, because they can but then as they mature, they begin to realize, actually, sometimes I really shouldn't play as much. Sometimes if I just back off and play less, maybe even leave a whole space where I don't play anything at all, that the music actually sounds, sounds better. I, I saw my favorite band, the Dave Matthews Band, the drummer. If you watch or listen to him throughout their career, the early recordings, he's all over the place, he's busy, and then, and then in the, the newer recordings, it's less. There's more space, and it actually allows the music to come through it. And I would say that that's a parable for life. That we have a tendency to think that, that more is, more is going to you know, make the music come through better. If, I, if I'm engaged in more activities, and I have more stuff, and I have more things, right? But actually, maybe we need to take a little more of a simple perspective towards life and allow allow that space, allow that space to come through and allow us to have that space to engage with God. So I would encourage you to have an attitude of simplicity towards things. What do we what do we need to give up? We need to have rest from activity, rest from people, and rest from things. So I would encourage you tomorrow to think about how can you uh, employ this into your, into your own life. If you can't really engage in it tomorrow, look to see, uh, to set that out. I think this is really important right now, this time of year, because we're about to hit this next season. It just seems like a season of, of craziness, right? It's just crazy the next season. I feel like, I mean, already the pumpkins are out, and if you guys have noticed this, and, you know, tomorrow they'll start selling Thanksgiving turkeys, and then the next day you'll already, be, you'll already put your Christmas tree up. I mean, it all happens so fast, and it's a really busy season. 
And I would encourage you to, to maybe fight the busyness of these coming months and realize the importance of rest. It'll, it'll actually make you more productive in what you do. Now, as we come to a close here, I'm excited that we're taking communion because there's one issue that I haven't addressed yet. And that is, why is it that we fight so much against rest? And there may be a number of reasons to this, but I think at the heart of why it's difficult for us to rest is because at the end of the day, we think everything is up to us. The reason why we find it so hard, the reason why you work you overwork. Uh, it's because you, you really feel like well, if you don't, you know, if you rest, then that means something isn't getting done that needs to get done. And you begin to think, well, if I don't do it, nothing, it's not going to get done. And, then, and, and what's really at the heart of that is, is not believing that it's not up to you. Though actually what enables you to rest is realizing that God is sovereign over your an inability to rest really just comes from a lack of faith in the, in the truth that God really is sovereign and God really is in control of your life. And as we take communion, communion, you know, communion points back to uh, the Exodus when the people of Israel were wandering in the desert. And, and again, they're like, where are we going to get food and all of this? And God's like, you know, don't, don't worry about it. They wanted to go out and, and use a lot of activity to try, to try to get their food. And God's like, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to just rest, and, and I'll, I'll bring it to you. And that's what communion points back to that reality and at an even deeper level, of course, because then what Jesus is saying, well, not only am I going to provide, I'm going to provide for your physical needs and everything, but what you really need is me. And as we take communion, what we realize is that we have everything that we need. I don't know if you've had those moments, those moments in my life when I'm closest, well, it's when I'm closest to God, that incredible feeling of I have everything that I need right now. That feeling, is, it's an incredible feeling. And it comes in the midst of, of all kinds of difficulties and trials and stresses and whatnot. But when, when you really enter into the presence of God, you can have this sense that I, I have everything. I, I can rest. And that's my prayer for you. As we take communion, that you would enter into the rest of God. That we have a God who died on a cross for us. So this is a God whom we know loves us. Again, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion is that you cannot find in any other religion a picture of a God who clearly loves us. In the ancient world, you know, they, they worshiped gods, but they didn't trust them. They just tried to appease them. They just tried to make sure they wouldn't mess their lives up. And then enters into the Roman world the Christian faith of this God who came and died for them and rose from the grave. So we see that he both loves us, loves us, cares for us, but also has the power to do something about it. And so as we take communion, I pray that we would be pointed to the reality of the God that we see in Jesus, that we really can rest. The ushers, please come forward. Dear God, we praise you that when we look to you, we have everything that we need.
the book of Psalms, it says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Lord, I pray that this morning and as we celebrate Labor Day, a day of rest, God, that that we would realize we have everything that we need. And that would allow us to rest in you. God, as we partake of these elements, God, I pray as we profess our faith in you, God, that we would see that in that we have forgiveness of sin, we have rest from our sin, we have freedom from the weight and the burdens that carry us or weigh us down. God, I pray that as we take these elements, we would enter into your rest. pray this in Jesus' name. was betrayed. Jesus gave thanks, broke bread, and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me.
again after supper, took the cup and said, This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, as we leave this place this morning, I pray that we would take your rest into our world and our community uh, that is so busy. God, that you might be made known. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing our closing hymn.